Hello, this is Gary. And this is Simon. And this is episode 8 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On our podcast today, we're discussing why people made the choice to move to an electric vehicle. We spoke to a few people and asked them their reasons for buying an EV, what they bought and why, and we'll also be talking about our own experiences in the world of getting an electric vehicle. But before we get started, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on the Honda E? I personally love the design, but I think the range is, is, is very small. They did, however, get the 100 kilowatt charging. So even with a small battery, it should actually charge really fast. They could have probably done with the 200 miles, though, in my opinion. I still think it's a shame, however, it's lost some of the concept charm that it's been changed since when it was debuted, which I preferred. I don't know if you remember that, but... When it first came out, it had, I don't know, there, there were slight changes. There, it wasn't much changed from the original, but, you know, doors, the um, uh, some of the some of the roundness and some of the features of it aren't quite the same. So if you um, if you go back and compare the, the original concept to the new one, it's close. But to me, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't have just kind of left it the way it was. Cost for the car has to be a factor for it to be relevant. So that, for me, has got to be sub 25 grand, which I don't think it's going to hit. Mm, I agree. Personally, I'm not sold on this car. It, it's disappointing, really, because I'm a big fan of Honda. I drove a Civic for 11 years before moving to an EV. In fact, my sister still drives the same car. It's done well over 130,000 miles wow. without any major problems. So there's nothing wrong with them as vehicles. But the Honda e it's a whole lot of wrong, in my opinion. I mean, first, you've talked about it a little bit. You've got the styling. I think it's one of those cars which you look back on in 20 years' time and you'll go, what were we thinking? <laughs> I mean, do, do you remember the original Ford Sierra back in the 1980s? Mm. Everyone raved about the design and the styling. And you see one now and you look back and you go, eh, really? It's pretty, pretty shocking. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, secondly, you've got the range. As you've already said, 125 miles, yeah, it's, it's not enough for an EV. We've we've heard people talk about, you know, 200 miles, 300 miles for range. So they, they've gone for 125. It's not enough. If people wanted 125 miles range, they would have bought a Leaf 30 or a Soul like I've got, or even one of the earlier i3s with the, uh, the lower battery pack. Yep. The range they're going for is not what people want. And thirdly, as you've already said, the price. Yeah. It could be anything between 25000 and 40000 in, <laughs> in that range, in ma- that market segment, there's lots and lots of higher spec cars with better range. We shall see. And I hope I'm wrong, but mm. time will tell. Yeah, I I really I really like the design, and it's obviously meant to be a city car. But I, I agree. I think the range is is very disappointing. But considering anything coming out now should have at least two hundred miles. Now on to our feature topic. Everyone who buys an EV has their own personal story about what got them into electric cars, and no two stories are the same. If you're out there wondering which EV to buy, or if you've recently bought one and you're unsure about whether you've made the right decision. It's fine, you have. The following few minutes (laughs) might be interesting to you. It's all well and good for Simon and me to sit here and spout on about our thoughts and what we believe people look for in an EV and why they're driving around in one. So we thought we'd get a few second opinions in. Recently, we sat down with four people at a local Surrey EVs meetup near Guildford and I asked them a few questions about what got them into their EVs. We'll meet our four willing volunteers in a short while, but I wanted to ask you, Simon... When did the concept that a car could be powered by electricity 
sort of first pop up on your radar? So electric cars up till probably two years ago had never even entered my head. I, I'd heard of you know the Nissan Leaf and tried the four, uh, the twenty four kilowatt um, version as a loan, um, but didn't really sell me on the idea at the time. Um, then my director at the time had purchased his first Tesla Model S. He was one of the first in the UK, so he'd waited at the time a similar sort of amount that people wait for Model 3s now. You know, it was two, three years. So, you know, that was clearly going to be outside of my uh, my budget. So I didn't really think that was an option either. It was a lovely car, but, you know, not in my price range. After that, my um, my engine and turbocharger on my then Qashqai went and had uh, had a high cost to fix was on finance so didn't have a choice but to have the engine rebuilt which was painful shall we say and expensive you know typical ice car stuff <laughs> um, a, a year later and still didn't have the confidence in the car so I decided to look around people and YouTube channels such as Plug It Adventures fully charge and the EV opinion uh, help with that the rest is history as they say. Personally I first found out about electric cars when I was looking to replace my Civic I looked first at the Prius and then I found out there was a plug-in version of the Civic and that led me down a, a Google rabbit hole until I first discovered the fully charged YouTube channel. Johnny Smith was reviewing the e-Golf and I really liked the look of that. I had a petrol Golf many, many years ago and it was a, fa mm. a fantastic car. Then it was uncovering the vehicles that were around at the time, the Zoe, the Leaf, Ionic, Soul, and working out which one was for me. So we asked... Lynn, Leanne, Fergus and Craig about how they came to own EVs. Uh, so I started in Renault sales. Uh, it was about eight months after the Zoe came out and no one had sold one in our whole dealership. So I thought I'd take it on and give it a go, use it as my demo. The person who got us first into possibly getting one was my brother Joe, who lives up in Yorkshire. He's got a Mark 1 um, Nissan Leaf 24 kilowatt. My first experience of an electric car was from a friend who works for BMW. He has an i3 as a company car, mm. um, and I was intrigued, and he let me have a drive. As soon as I put my foot to the floor, the thing tore off down the road. I immediately thought, what's the point of having a petrol car? 2015, I was just quite interested in buying something that was going to save me a bit more money on, on the set of fuel, basically. So I started looking into EVs, was going to buy a Nissan Leaf, but it was just a bit more expensive than what I needed to fork out it didn't sort of like work out and then we just decided to have a quick nosy round still looking obviously at teslas and all sorts of things but end up seeing the zoe that worked out to be the more viable option at the time so then we wanted to know why people chose the particular car they first bought simon why the i3 rather than say a leaf or a zoe well the i3 i liked uh, as it suited my my situation i did actually like i said before i, I tried the leaf and i actually did drive a zoe I almost almost clinched the Zoe really, but it didn't have split rear seats at the time, uh, which with a little one on the way didn't you know wasn't going to work. Uh, but I loved the style of the i3, so it's not everyone's taste really, but I I like it and I still do. I originally wanted the Soul because it fit the profile I was looking for regarding range and price, but then I went to the dealer to try and get a test drive. Nobody wanted to know, so I kicked them off the list and started looking at the Ionic and the Zoe. While I love the looks of the Zoe, there were a couple of things I couldn't quite get along with. AC only charging and a fairly outdated user interface. So I went for the Ionic. 
And then I couldn't get one for love or money. The waiting list was huge on them, 12 months easy. I spoke to the lease company and then when we discussed it, they reckoned the sole was more in my price range. So I told them of my woeful experience with Kia, which you can hear about on earlier versions of this podcast. And they said, leave it with us. Four weeks later, the car was being delivered to my house on the back of the flatbed. So that's, you know, my Kia Soul story. So why did some other people choose the car they chose? Tell me the story of how you ended up in the Zoe. Did you, did you do a test drive to start with? Did you buy it outright or what happened? Yeah, what we, we initially just were looking around. I, I was adamant I wanted to go electric and the wife uh, was happy to sort of like change as long as it worked and we could save some money. And we tried the hardest to go and find the Zoe to test drive and we just couldn't find anything. We ended up driving into Birmingham. I live in Coventry, but we ended up driving into Birmingham who told us they had a Zoe there we could take for a test drive. Um, and when we turned up, literally they, they gave us the key and says go out for a few hours and leave left us to it and just said you know if when you finish come back ask some questions or try and answer them but they didn't know a lot and so they were just sort of like you know you are working out for yourself basically so i, I went out. obviously i'd been in a test so i'd been in a, a leaf so we knew what the what their drive was going to be like but we come back and just said yeah we, we love it it's great it's the right size perfect not too big after seeing my brother's car neil had a drive around in the car park in it and really liked it we ended up having some problems with my old diesel golf and it got to the point where given the age of the car and the cost to repair it we decided it wasn't worth it neil made some inquiries into the nissan leaf at our local nissan dealership and he found out that he could get very good scrappage on my golf towards the nissan leaf so he had a look at, he really wanted a 30 kilowatt one, mm-hmm. but unfortunately they weren't doing a good deal on the scrappage for the 30 kilowatt, only for the 24. What he then did was tried to find the lowest mileage 24 kilowatt leaf that he could. One came up that he really liked. It's exactly the same color as my brother's. So kind of got twin cars, except we've got the Tecna, he's got the Accenta, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where, where it's been. Did you ever consider anything other than a leaf? At the time, no, we didn't sort of really have much insight into EVs at that stage or into the, certainly weren't part of an EV community back then. And so the Leaf seemed like the option, plus Neil had had the opportunity to drive my brother's car and we were on quite a deadline because my car was going to fail the MOT. So it very much came to the point where we were just like, we're going to get the Leaf, we're going to get rid of the Golf. Mm -hmm. And I got Neil's old car, Neil got the Leaf and uh, no, we love it. Absolutely love it. Primarily, it had to be cheaper to lease than I was spending on petrol. So I had a budget of £250 Mm -hmm. a month. I didn't like the look of the Zoe. I've always owned Japanese cars, so I was willing to go Korean. Couldn't bring myself to lease a French car. I'm not quite as biased now. I would consider it. (laughs) And I road tested a used Leaf and a new Soul. And I I don't like the styling of the Leaf. They drive fairly similarly, but I like the kind of uh, lifestyle vehicle appearance of the soul mm-hmm. um, it was perfect for me drove it was very impressed and um, it seems a no-brainer no more cam belts no more oil leaks simon you and i both know people who've bought evs does it seem to you that there isn't one single reason why they chose them everyone seems to have a different story some some of it is style style of the car like like me some of it is how practical it is them for you know, such as range, for instance, that's a, a that's a big factor I found. One reason that's always touted when EVs are mentioned is the fact that although they're often more expensive to buy than an equivalent ICE car currently, the running costs are a lot, lot lower. We asked our interviewees what sort of cost savings they were making. 
massive because I don't have any home charging so I use public charging only with the polar network you pay the £7.65 a month and then generally a lot of the charges around me at least are completely free so m most months my total fuel cost is £7.65 which is a huge difference to what I used to spend in the Gulf it would have cost Neil £120 a month in diesel and it's costing him £25 a month in electric so huge saving there no difference really because all of the petrol money is going on the lease mm -hmm. but I'm happier giving that money to the lease company and Kia rather than an oil company and of course nothing has failed I haven't had lower ball joints wear out I haven't had CV gators go all of the nasty things that, you know uh, I know those aren't exclusive to petrol cars but I had a cam belt fail on the Subaru and it was yeah it was a horrible experience I don't miss the turning the key will it start this time what's going to go wrong is the alternator going to pack in new car ownership is mm. is great i'm enjoying it it was just down to the case of will it will it be worth us chopping in and going for it you know will we save money on fuel and we did the figures uh, it took us about an hour we sat down worked it all out and it looked like it was going to save us probably 150 pound a month compared to the petrol car even buying it new and weighing it all out so we, we went for it and to be honest it was it worked out a lot more than that in the end I have a, a similar story. For 12,000 miles a year in my Civic, I was spending around £2,000 on fuel. Add to that about £1,000 for servicing, MOT, etc. And that money was effectively what paid for the lease on uh, my car. We've also told the story on this podcast of the couple who had a cash guy traded it in for an e-golf and the money they were saving on diesel fully covered the loan payment for their e-golf. And their company then paid them 40 pence per mile business travel to cover their electricity. They were making money on their purchase. So, Simon, how did the financials work out for you, especially as you don't have home charging? Well, I, I save approximately about £200 a month of fuel costs, which pays for about half of my loan for the car. Uh, the maintenance plan that actually came with the car, that's for three years, so no service charges. Obviously, no vehicle excise uh, duty or congestion charge or you less charge in, in London. There's savings all around, really. Indeed. We did an episode recently about range anxiety. It seems to be something that's quite prevalent amongst people who've never actually driven an EV. <laughs> so we wanted to know if this was something that was important for our interviewees. I won't lie. <laughs> we did have a situation recently where we were driving down to Swindon and... The charger we were planning to use was blocked off. The sat-nav hadn't told us that the services were blocked off. We'd passed the previous services and so we arrived at the services beyond that on dashes and yes, it was a little bit of a scary moment, but otherwise I'd say range anxiety can be blown out of proportion. And I seem to find that most people ask the question about range and have the range anxiety who don't actually own EVs. I think the people that own EVs know how to plan their journeys and range anxiety isn't so much of a thing for them. My passion for Renault Zoe is just phenomenal. I've, I've took mine halfway across Europe, well, most way across Europe, to Austria in 2017 with 22 kilowatt yeah. without an issue. There and back, you know, yeah. and after doing that, I would never have took my petrol car over there, the worry of it overheating or breaking down. So, you know, once you've done them sort of trips, nothing, you don't blink an eyelid at going anywhere. There's a big clear number on there that tells me how far I can go. My commute is 32 miles a day, mm -hmm. and I plug in every night, come out in the morning, look at my wife's car, which is frosted up, it's just a cube of ice, 
and I look at my car, the glass is hot and dry when it's sub-zero. It's fantastic. <laughs> we don't need to go into this any further as we've covered it before, but it does seem to be that range anxiety is a concept that's a barrier more for people wanting to buy an EV than for people actually having bought an EV themselves. Yes, indeed. And we still hear it now. Um, but I think people are waking up to the idea, if nothing else, that ICE cars are dead or at least dying. And an EV is the way to go. Some people will just take longer than others. Always the case. Yes. Finally, you and I have always said that one of the easiest ways to get people into an EV is to actually get them into an EV, get them out <laughs> driving. Yeah. In one, and I asked our interviewees their thoughts on that. Now, Simon, who does the podcast with me, and I, we're both very much of the opinion that one of the best ways of actually getting people to buy an EV is to physically get them into one and get mm. driving. Yeah. Now, obviously, you said you had a drive in the. Yeah. Uh, that's what converted me. Absolutely. Yeah. Was that the only one you drove before you you put your order down on? Uh... Uh, no, I test drove a Leaf and the Soul and the i3 i had a go in um a couple of times and yeah it, it was a very quick decision yeah yeah massively um i mean i used to work for an electric vehicle rental company as well and the main goal was sort of extended test drives rather than just hire a fancy tesla for the day it was like try a few different evs over a couple of weeks to compare the difference because once people get in them they do realize how how nice they are and how easy they are Absolutely. I mean, my brother was lucky enough. The story behind my brother getting his EV was he was given, an, he was allowed to get an EV for the weekend through Nissan. I, you know, it's not something we ever knew anything about, and you know, you don't see it advertised anywhere. It's not there in the public eye. Mm -hmm. But once you get in one, I don't think you'd go back. Start with with dealers. Uh, even with dealers, they don't. A lot of the dealerships don't allow the staff, the salespeople, to take electric cars home. To, to then be able to walk in there and convince an owner to, mm -hmm. to go over to electric. Um, I've seen it everywhere, even Renault dealers, Nissan dealers, BMW dealers. You walk in there, you start telling them you want to look at an electric car. They look at you as if to say, are you mad? The world, the world hasn't started yet, mate. You know, and you want to you go into electric. I've got a lovely diesel over here. And you, and you start like, no, 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 I want to go electric. And they're just, okay. And they, they sort of like, they, they have no idea. And I think the biggest step at the moment would be everyone needs to be understanding what it's like to live with one. And to do that, you need to get the people selling them to live with one. Yes, we've said this before, and um, but the best way to convert people is to let them drive them and show them how easy and cheap it is to charge. Once they do this, usually that's the turning point for these people. And again, we go back to our usual touchstone on this, which is places like the EV Experience Centre in Milton Keynes, yeah. where you can go up there totally brand agnostic you can try all the evs very very cheaply they're not mm. going to try and sell you one and you know the number of people who change from i don't know much about evs i'm going to try one oh i've tried one and now i'm going to buy one yeah so i would imagine it's a huge number well it's quite a lot because um if, if you ever see on twitter as well the ev center always tweet out the stories essentially from from the milton Keynes center and it's always this person mm. came in, they had a 48 hour or week test drive of, you know, wherever it may be. And they come back and said, yep, now looking to purchase their own EV. So it's it's a complete game changer, as you and me know. As I was carrying out these interviews, it struck me as quite interesting that even though everybody had a different story about what brought them to EVs, they all have a similar story once they bought one. It's lovely to drive, saves me money. I don't have a real problem with range anxiety. Of course, Everyone would like a car with more range, but nobody seemed disappointed with the car they'd bought or the fact that they're now EV drivers. 
I'm not sure what that says about us as a <laughs> tribe of people or whether it's just that's the effect that EVs have on anybody who gets in them. It would be interesting to hear other people's stories about their EVs. Why did they choose the one they did? Do they save money? What are the downsides that we haven't talked about in this episode? If you want to have a word with us, uh, either drop a note on our Facebook page, the link's in the notes, or tweet us. Again, check the notes for links. To finish off this section, I'd like to thank Leanne Roberts from Sussex EVs, Lynn Prangle, Craig Tong from the Renault Zoe Owners Club, and fellow sole owner Fergus McIver for allowing me to interview them. You were all excellent, despite the fact we were sitting in a hot, stuffy Kia Soul in the midday sun <laughs> with no air conditioning, so it didn't interrupt the audio too much. Thank you so much. It's time for the occasional segment of our show called Bjorn Again, where we discuss Norwegian blogger Bjorn Nyland. Let's talk about Bjorn for a few moments, shall we? Indeed, Bjorn recently ran one of his legendary races from Oslo to some far-flung corner of Scandinavia and back again. This time he was racing Powell in his Model 3, but Bjorn was in a Porsche 911 Turbo. If you, <laughs> if you haven't watched the video, then skip ahead to the cool things section of this podcast. If you have watched it, I have a question. How accurate do you think it was? So they put in place certain rules. No speeding, charge, refuel, wherever you want, but no eating in the vehicles. Almost After almost 11 hours of racing, they ended up neck and neck at the finish line. Now, I've had both Porsches and EVs, and even though I love my EV, the Porsche was one of the best cars I ever had. It uh, passed everything except the petrol stations. And if we were looking at this from a strict refueling versus recharging point of view, the 911 would win every single time. Powell took half an hour to refuel versus the 911, which took a timed two minutes and 30 seconds. So from that point of view, there is no competition. But what stopped this from being a whitewash was the fact that, as in real life, the stops were not just refueling slash recharging stops. They were rest stops. The difference, of course, is that the rest stops in an EV are an opportunity to recharge while eating, shopping or relaxing. For the ice car, you have to do all these things and then you have to spend your 2 minutes 30 refueling before you can go on. It's a serial set of activities rather than a parallel set with an EV. And this is how time was saved. It's well worth a quick look at the video and the link is in the show notes. So let's wrap up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing you've come across uh, that we can share with our listeners. Yeah, now here's mine, the Audi e-tron. Of course, it's not a new car. Well, it's a fairly new car, but we we're aware of it existing hmm. at the moment. Uh, but there's not a huge amount of information about the vehicle, especially here in the UK. You and I both saw it at Fully Charged Live, but there aren't a huge number here in the UK. In the US, however, it's a different matter. It seems that the e-tron, despite being an $80,000 car, is currently accounting for 3.7% of all Audi sales in the US. And that's quite interesting when you consider that last month alone, Audi sales generally were down 0.3%. Now, yeah, the numbers are small. They sold 726 in the US. For comparison, the Tesla Model X, which is a similar market segment, sold 2,725 <laughs> over the same period. But it's not that bad for a car that's been on the market for only two full months in a segment which has several competitors that have a more established EV market, such as Jaguar and Tesla. I'm a big fan of Audi, so I'm interested to see what happens when it comes over and gets released here in the UK. Yes, indeed. Um, 
I'm hoping to get a test drive of that uh, very shortly. Um, mm. So yeah, we'll we'll see uh, see how that pans out. My cool thing is a new extreme sports organizer, which deals directly in esports off road cars, all electric. Um, they're called. E, uh, extreme.e.com uh, we'll put the link in the uh, in the section below but it's from one of the founders of Formula E Racing to bring the same courage and excitement of this extreme off-road racing and um, it should be pretty exciting to be honest I, I first read about this on um, Plugin Adventures Instagram feed weirdly enough and yeah it seems quite exciting so Extreme E is a radical new racing series which will see electric SUVs competing in extreme environments around the world which have already been damaged or affected by climate and environmental issues. The five race global voyage highlights the impact of climate change and human interference in some of the world's most fragile ecosystems and promotes the adoption of electric vehicles to help preserve the environment and protect the planet. I saw a picture of it from Plugin Adventures and then started reading it and then realised it was done by the guys that done Formula E, one of the co-founders. So I'm thinking if they can do the same thing for kind of off-road racing the same as they've done with Formula E which is is pretty exciting for anyone that has watched that um yeah it's 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 going to be quite interesting I think over the coming years it, I I'm on the fence about the concept at the moment in terms of how they're actually doing it the other co-founder is uh Gilles de Ferran who is uh, an ex-race car driver is a Indy 500 winner mm. and holds the lap record at the California Speedway of an average of I think 240 miles an hour <laughs> silly absolutely <laughs> ludicrous but yeah the whole thing is they've as far as I can work out from reading the uh, website is they've bought or leased an ex-Coast Guard ship, which they're retrofitting to be environmentally friendly. And mm. they're going to use that as a base and travel all around the world to five separate environments. So they're going to go to Antarctica. They're going to go to the desert. They're going to go to uh, a Pacific island. They're going to go to the Amazon. And I think I missed one out, but whatever it is. And each each location is going to have a series of races around specific courses that have been built just for the uh, for that particular event yeah and it's kind of a knockout until you get the uh the winner in each race and then mm. obviously the one who gets the most over the five races is the the winner of it i think as a as a concept for raising awareness love it yeah. love it lots i suspect the final product that comes out will differ from the mm. model that they've got at the <laughs> moment yeah um, in some ways, I'm not entirely sure which ways they're going to be, but um, yeah. best to look for that, I think. Yeah, it's, it certainly um, piqued my interest anyway, so it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, Simon is at The EV Side on Twitter and YouTube. And I'm The Real Gary C on Twitter. The podcast itself also has a Twitter feed at Musings EV, and we regularly tweet out interesting articles in the EV space. Please check out Simon's YouTube page, the link's in the notes, if you want to see him grinning like an idiot in the back of a Model 3 <laughs> recently. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Got Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a nice little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're into watching podcasts on YouTube, 
These episodes all get downloaded there approximately 24 hours after they're released to iTunes. So check those out too. The link's also below. Please leave a review as it makes us feel loved and helps us know we're not just shouting into the void here. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.